And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, who did what, where and why for their countries? The Premier League returns. Oh, biscuits, it's Bournemouth. We quiz and more. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. We are straight back into business. We've had a little pause for the international break, but we are refreshed and raring to go. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletics' finest. Good morning, Simon Johnson. Good morning. The title charge starts here. Oh, yes. This is it. The season's kicking off for real. Liam Toomey's back with us too. How are you doing, Liam? Hello, yeah, bringing you my international break level audio today. <laughs> uh, and producer Lucy's coming to us direct from Spain, so we are all over the shop today, but we've got lots to get through. Let's start with a little international roundup. Bueno, vamos Rodri, vamos Rodri, se viene de Paul con la pelota, tocando para Julián Alina, me encantó. Body María alza la mano, hizo, 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 gol, 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 gol. Gol, me encantó Argentina. Is a brilliant goal from Cole Palmer. You can't save those. 3 0. Smashed in off the underside of the bar. Our players making their way back to Cobham, then from all over the world after the international break. Some news and notes include. Enzo Fernandez scoring for Argentina in their win high up in the hills of La Paz as they beat Bolivia. Moises Caicedo laid on an assist as Ecuador beat Marcelo Bielsa's Uruguay. Mikhailo Mudrik struggled against England, then came off the bench for Ukraine in their defeat against Italy. Ben Chilwell and Conor Gallagher both featured for England over the break. Chilwell started against Ukraine. Gallagher came on in that game and Tuesday's win against Scotland. No Levi Colwill, though. Uh, Cole Palmer got a goal and Noni Madueke an assist as England's under-21s won 3-0 away to Luxembourg. Leslie Ugachukwu and Malo Gusto both played 90 for France's under-21s in their 4-0 win against Slovenia. Gusto got an assist there. Nicholas Jackson won his fourth Senegal cap as they lost to Algeria in a friendly. Those some of the headlines. Um, Simon, we've been writing about we. <laughs> you guys have been writing about Mikhailo Mudrik and, and the need for a bit more patience with him. I'm guessing he was looking at this international break as a bit of a break for him from the stresses of, of his time at Chelsea so far. And it's not really proved to be much respite for him, has it? He struggled against England and it's not like he's he's made any positive headlines since he's been away. No, um to be honest. Playing England was probably the worst fixture he could have had because it, it just felt like more of the same, um, especially he was up against Carl Walker, just as he was at Wembley back in March. And it was a very similar performance. What I sort of found quite concerning was that the Ukraine players didn't seem to want to pass the ball to him and he wasn't exactly going out of his way to get on the ball either. He was kind of hiding. It seems like those those green shoots of recovery that we saw in pre-season where he seemed to be 
sort of finally his confidence again has disappeared and, and he, he does look like a, a young player that doesn't know where the next goal or assist is coming from, that he's not enjoying his football. Uh, in, in the piece, you know, me and him, we, we, we discuss sort of how, you know, there are concerns about things that he's doing, sort of overtraining. He is a very shy guy. I, I think he keeps himself to himself quite a lot. Doesn't particularly mix well with the squad. But I, I, I do sort of think that there are a lot of mitigating circumstances here. In fact, in the build-up to the England game, he, he posted a sort of very shocking image of the war that, of course, is going on with his country and, and Russia, which I think sort of shows where his head's at at the moment. And I think people should bear that in mind when they're targeting him for criticism, particularly vocally from the stands, that this is a young man living away from home. Yes, he's being paid a lot of money, but a healthy bank balance doesn't compensate for the fact that your friends and family are in a very difficult situation a few thousand miles away. So this is a big man management job for Mauricio Pochettino. Liam, somebody tweeted us a few weeks back, apologies if it was you, listener, because I've lost the tweet, but saying, is there a case to be made for sending Mudrick out on loan? I think they meant for the summer window, but maybe something that could be addressed in January. Just, you know, just send him, I don't know, to the Eredivisie or something where he can rip it up for six months, get his confidence back and then come back looking like the player Chelsea thought they were getting. Is is that something that's been mooted? It Would it be a good idea in your mind? It's an interesting question because I've had conversations with people recently that have given me confidence that even if this season goes poorly for Madrid, there will be clubs ready and waiting to take a chance on his talent and give him an opportunity to rebuild his value, rebuild his confidence elsewhere. Bundesliga has been mentioned to me as a potential option. And given his speed, given his transition strengths, you would think that would be quite a nice fit. Clearly, that isn't the path that Chelsea want to go down with a £60 million signing. They want him to look like the star that they thought they were getting from Shakhtar. But Mudrik has, has not looked anywhere near that level. I know, you know Simon mentioned green shoots in pre-season. There were certainly flashes of him looking better. But on the whole, he didn't look like he fit into the team at all. And and by the end of pre-season, Nkunku was getting his minutes on the left wing. Now it's Ben Chilwell. And the fact that Nkunku isn't fit and Madrid still can't get in this Chelsea team regularly, I think is a big concern. He's a project, essentially. Uh, aside from everything else that's going on off the field, and I think there is a lot of it with him and his adaptation to English football, I think on a football level, he's he's a project. And Mauricio Pochettino has a lot of other players to develop as well, and he has to start winning. So it's going to be tricky. It's going to be difficult for, for Mudrik to get his career on track in the current Chelsea situation because he may not get a lot of minutes to do it. He's going to have to start in training and he's going to have to earn whatever opportunities he gets in the first team and, and then go from there. Well, given Chelsea's injury record at the moment, maybe he'll get a, a place in the team before too long. Um, Simon, I'm going to try and phrase this question without making a thinly veiled criticism of Gareth Southgate, who I'm not particularly happy with at the moment. Why on earth did he put Levi Colwell in the England squad 
and not give him a single minute of action. I mean, you could say the same for Fakayo Tamori, but we're more interested in, in Colwell at the moment. Surely that Scotland game was an opportunity to, I don't know, chuck one or both of those to him. But yeah, Colwell will be feeling a bit cheesed off, won't he? Well, I think there's basically there was a, a scan on his hamstring before he reported for England duty. So reading between the lines, one would imagine that would have played a factor in him not playing. Maybe there was an opportunity in the Scotland game, given Gehi he had to go off. But perhaps in that situation, Southgate is always going to lean towards the experienced man in Harry Maguire over someone who he's not played for the senior team before. Yeah, that went well, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Bit of an own goal <laughs> on Southgate's part. I know this is not a Harry Maguire podcast. I have a bit of sympathy for him, actually. I, I feel like he's a bit... Well, he'd probably have preferred Colwell or Tamori to come on, wouldn't he? Yeah, I feel like he's copping the flack because of Southgate's decision-making even more, you know, that he's almost become the, 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 the target of the boo boys who are unhappy with what Southgate's doing. A bit like yourself, Matt, you know, people unhappy with Southgate. Oh, look, he should be moaning at it. On the pitch, it's the same guy. Although the England fans, to be fair, they, they stick it standing by him. But getting back to Levi Colwell, I still think it was a good experience for him. You know, like it's clear that Southgate values him highly. They had spoken quite a lot. Of course, he was upgraded to to train with the senior squad before going away with the, the under-21s for the European Championships in the summer. Southgate himself was kind of saying, look, if you, if you want to be part of the Euros... I think he can be part of the Euro squad in terms of we are going to qualify in terms of playing in the in finals next summer. You need to be playing for your club. And I think that was part of the the discussions that Levi would have had uh, with Chelsea about his contracts and, and Pochettino to have some reassurances that if he did sign that he would be playing. And of course, so far, so good in that regard. Although, you know, there's definitely room for improvement. He, he's showing some signs of rawness. He's also playing in a bit of an unusual position right now uh, for Chelsea. But I, I still think the fact that he was involved in the in the setup, whilst it's frustrating he didn't get any minutes at all, one thinks that that will soon change. feels like Southgate has reached the point that a lot of successful international managers reach towards the end of their tenures, where they make a decision to live or die with their guys. And that seems to be the case for Harry Maguire and for Jordan Henderson. Neither of them look like they're going to be playing regularly at a particularly high level by the time Euro 2024 rolls round. But Southgate is running out of time to, to try alternatives. And by continuing to lean so hard into, into these two guys and with Maguire, given what Southgate said publicly, it feels like there's, there's a part of it where it almost comes across as if he feels he's obligated to pick him given the pylon that's happening on social media. It feels like he feels obligated to defend him by continuing to, to pick him for the England team. But practically, he's not playing regularly for Manchester United. It's not even just Levi Colwell. You know, Fikayo Tamori has been playing at a higher level in a better team than Manchester United for the last two years. So there are better options out there, but it does look like Southgate, for better or worse, is, is wedded to Maguire for the Euro 2024 run, partly because I, I don't think Southgate's thinking beyond that as England manager. Mm. 
should England have just done what I'd said and parachuted Thomas Tuchel in for the World Cup and we'd be world champions by now? Not for me to say. Uh, right, that's the England squad audit done. We'll do a Chelsea one next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, Liam has written an audit of Chelsea squad up on The Athletic now. It runs down every position in there, the depth, their four strengths, weaknesses, you know, the sort of thing. It's really, really good. This is what The Athletic does so well. Liam's excellent writing with the graphics to, to help you out too. And um, this was the key quote, I think, Liam. This might be the most expensive array of football talent ever assembled, but it's not built to win at the highest level right now. And it doesn't look particularly complete. It's hardly a ringing endorsement, but I'd say it's a fairly accurate one. Tell us about putting this piece together uh, it, this is this is the kind of thing that you would particularly enjoy it strikes me yeah well we just felt that with the transfer window over it was a good opportunity to take proper stock of the squad because it's been in such flux for the last two three months with incomings and outgoings now Chelsea as much as they might want to can't do anything until January 1st so we have a little bit of time to assess what they have what they maybe don't have. And I I tried not to base those assessments much on what we've seen in the first four games of the season because it's still a real, really small sample size. And I do think, apart from Forest, the performances have been better than the results. But the overriding impression, you know, circling back to the quote that you, that you read out, is that Chelsea have committed around a billion pounds in transfer fees to get younger and less proven. That's essentially where we are. And no club has ever done this. No club has ever tried this. So I don't think we can prejudge it and say it will be a disaster or genius or anything in between. I think we have to see how it plays out. They do have some really talented young players. They also have some, maybe some positional redundancy, some positions that are a little bit overloaded, some positions that are a bit thin particularly up front right now with Nkunku and Breuer injured. They're basically a Nicholas Jackson hamstring injury away from being in serious trouble in the first half of this season. They have talent, but they have players who already look like they might be very expensive misses. And we've, we've already discussed one in Mudrick. So it's a real mixed bag of a squad. Uh, and I, I found it quite interesting to, to go through by every area of the pitch and just take a closer look at it. I mean, there's a there's obviously a clear strategy here from the ownership and the co-sporting directors to go for young players, the youngest squad in the league, which is pretty extraordinary when you consider you've got Papa Thiago in there bringing the average up for everybody. Imagine how young it would be without him. Where I wonder if there's a bit of a disconnect is 
the strong desire to get back in the Champions League this season, whilst kind of saying, well, this is going to take time for this project to work. Is, is this them thinking it taking time to work is in order to challenge for the Premier League and the Champions League trophies, but they think, well, we can get top four slash top five this season with this young squad? Yeah, I, I think that, that that's their thinking. Whether people outside the club believe that's realistic is, is another thing entirely, but where they believe that this is a squad capable of qualifying for the Champions League this season. It's noticeable that Pochettino has, has said, we have to win now. He keeps drilling this this message out, although noticeably the, the, sort of the terms project and process came back into his uh, lingo after the Nottingham Forest defeat. He went, well, you know, it, it could take a bit of time. But this is a strategy on and off the pitch. They want to buy hungry players that are on the way up, not on the way down, and players that aren't on big salaries, which they hope will help if if it comes to the time when they have to be sold, that they'll be easier to sell. We've seen this summer, again, the difficulty of offloading players on, on big, big wages. The market's a lot smaller. So it's difficult when you've got guys on 200, 300 grand a week. To, there aren't many takers for those kind of players, particularly if they're underperforming. The, the, the question mark is, is what happens to these guys on long-term contracts if they also underperform? Because an underperforming player is still not going to attract too many bidders. So let, let's see what happens. I feel like there's, there's quite a bit of doom and gloom, as, as we discussed in the last podcast, off the back of the Forest game. It can quickly turn around. Touching on the theme of this sort of part of the podcast, though, I, I think it's also relevant to point out a piece that Stuart James has headed up um, in the Athletics today, where a bunch of athletic writers have spoken to agents off the record, obviously, or, or not naming them, about their views of the transfer window and who came out on top, etc. And, and noticeably, Chelsea did not come across too well in any of the topics question marks uh, that they were named as having the worst transfer window. Cole Palmer, for example, one one agent is, is kind of saying, well, what on earth is that all about? Um, so, so it's interesting that agents that the Athletics spoke to are also quite unimpressed uh, with what the business that Chelsea have done. Although in saying that, you could say that agents are Chelsea's biggest friend in terms of the amount of deals they're doing. But the whole point of long-term contracts is also to negate constant contract negotiations, which obviously affects an, an agent's uh, role. But let's see um, how real that is when uh, a player comes knocking on the door after 18 months saying, I want a pay rise. Yeah, and I guess the counter to, to that is that Chelsea have done some excellent business in terms of outgoings, particularly looking at the money they got for, for Kai Havertz and Mason Mount. Um, just back on your squad audit, Liam, and, and looking at the graphic, we've been slightly negative so far. And, and there's definitely things that leap out when you look at the lengths of contracts and the amount of plus sevens and a plus eight in, in Mudrick's case. But if we're looking at positives, I'm just looking now at the right back area, defensive midfield, left back. And I'm thinking that there aren't many teams in the Premier League who have that kind of quality and or depth in those particular areas. Chelsea look really strong in those positions. Yeah, and all positions which you would previously have, have maybe classed as weaknesses, if not because of the first options, then at least the depth. Because Chilwell and James have been two of the most important players for Chelsea for the last couple of years, but their importance has been highlighted just as much by how badly things go off the rails when they're out. 
as it does when they're in. So I do think Chelsea have got themselves to a position, particularly at right back, where it's no longer a disaster if Reese James misses time because Malo Gusto is, is genuinely good and I think could could be the starting right back for more than half of the current Premier League teams. That's a big thing. That's big progress because I think Chelsea were badly lacking that before. Mark Kukurea doesn't fill you with the same kind of confidence behind Ben Chilwell, but they do still have Ian Matson for now. We'll see what happens in January. And of course, Levi Colwell has been playing at left back early in the season as well and done okay. And defensive midfield, they've gone from having no natural number sixes after losing Jorginho and shoehorning Enzo Fernandes in there for the second half of last season to having a multitude of potential options. And Moises Caicedo, Romeo Lavia, Leslie Gachukwu, none of them are Claude McAlealy in terms of their skill sets, but they're all players that could be moulded into more of a specialist in that position or moulded into something else, depending on the way Pochettino wants to build his midfield. But there's plenty of talent and raw material there to work with. And they've achieved their main midfield aim going into this transfer window, which is to sign the players to enable Enzo to operate further forward. And I think we've already seen that so far this season. And despite the fact that you know, probably the most memorable thing Enzo's done so far is missed that penalty against West Ham, I think he's been excellent in a more advanced role. And he already looks like one of the best midfielders in the league. All right, go and check out that squad audit up on The Athletic now. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go if you aren't currently a subscriber. So Chelsea got a whole bunch of players. We'll try and mould them into a team to take on Bournemouth next. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Oh man, 
Chelsea got to play Bournemouth this Sunday. Not the Blues' favourite opponents over the last few years, it's fair to say. Uh, Frank Lampard probably looks back on last season's trip there with almost as much fondness as Simon, though. So maybe that's turned the tide and Chelsea will now go on a winning streak against the Cherries. Uh, Lucy put the call out on Twitter at SOCobbinPod, the place to go to follow us uh, to ask for some questions. Here's Stefan, who says, with all these injuries, is there something deeper going on? Issues with the medical team or is Poch training them too hard? Uh, on that, Grace Robertson tweeted, when you bring in a new manager with highly demanding training sessions, as well as overhauling half the squad, players are going to get injured. It takes time to adjust to the new training rhythms and it'll pass. Uh, does that chime with your thinking, Simon? And also, can you tell me what's up with Romeo Lavia, please? Um, on Lavia, his ankle ligament damage, which he sustains in a, in a tackle in training, I think the club are sort of relying on Pochettino stroke their pre-press conference announcement, I think, to, to confirm perhaps the length of time that he might be out. They might not even be that specific, actually. They might want to keep it fairly vague so there's no pressure on him when he comes back. But yeah, it did feel like, <laughs> here we go again, a player that they've only just signed is already injured. Mind you, for those of you, there were a couple that sort of said, we've got to talk New York Jets uh, in during my... Twitter rant, or, or my X rant, X-rated rant, actually, uh, watching Monday Night Football. It's not as bad as losing the, your star quarterback after just four plays, and basically your season's over within 75 seconds. So, yeah, Chelsea fans, if you think you've had bad luck with injuries, uh, follow the New York Jets. Um, <laughs> maybe it'll be put into perspective. I, I think this is a constant theme with fans, isn't it, with the amount of injuries Chelsea have had, what's going on with the medical department, etc. There has been a lot of changes there over the last 15 months or so. But speaking to someone on, on Monday, they were sort of saying look, a lot of these injuries are contact injuries, which you can do very little about. It is not, it's not particularly down to them not being looked after or whatever. But I, I understand the frustration, I think, because you can see if Chelsea put their best team out on the pitch that they, they could challenge a lot higher up the table. And then Kunku's injury, I think, is the one that has has damaged Chelsea the most, undoubtedly, which is something that Liam's already touched upon. Tushar wants to know any changes in the starting eleven we can expect at the weekend, taking into account some of the performances by the players during the break. Uh, it's tough to know, Liam, what, what shape people are, are coming back in, particularly those like Kaiseido. I guess you, you've had to do an awful lot of travelling. Uh, would you expect that we might see Benoit Badia-Shiel in the squad, if not starting? The, the club put a lot of pictures, it seemed to me, out of, of him training over the break. Is he close to a return? And, and what about Chukwemeka and Breuer? All three of those guys were, were guys who were earmarked to come back in some form after the September international break. The interesting thing for me with Badia Shield is does Pochettino consider putting him in Thiago Silva's spot and keeping Levi Colwell at left back and continuing this Ben Chilwell at left wing decision? Or does he move Chilwell to left back and then he's got more of a direct battle between Colwell, Badia Shield, Silva for that left centre back spot? So I think that there are some ripple effects from whether that Chilwell tactical ploy experiment, whatever you might call it, continues, and that will have ramifications for the defence. In any case, I don't I don't expect Badia Shield to necessarily start against Bournemouth because I you know I think 
the guys coming back, given how many players Chelsea have had out injured early in the season, I think the guys coming back will be treated carefully because Chelsea do not want what happened last year, which is re-injuries. Re-injuries absolutely killed them, particularly with someone like Breuer because his his ACL, obviously that's a, that's a major injury, long recovery time. I'd expect to see him at least once, maybe a few times for the development squad before he's in a position for real first team minutes. Chilton Mecca, it's, it's harder to say because he had a kind of almost a best case scenario when it comes to knee injuries. You know, when, when, when people were saying, oh, he's, he's hurt his knee, I think everyone was assuming a, an Nkunku level absence. Instead, it was weeks rather than months. But I, I still think they'll be they'll be slightly careful with him. Uh, he hasn't had quite as long to lose the conditioning that he built up in pre-season, but he will need a bit of ramp-up time. So, long story short, I think Pochettino will be will be careful with these guys unless availability elsewhere, you know, forces his hand a bit. As somebody who we might see, Simon, is somebody you, you've written about for The Athletic, Nani Madweke. Uh, he's, he's been doing his own fitness work. He seems to be somebody who has more of the trust of Pochettino than, say, Mikhailo Mudrik. It, it might be fair to say. Do you think we're going to see him on the South Coast this weekend? Um, certainly at some point. Whether he starts or not is is still in question because he obviously plays on the right and, and Raheem Sterling has been playing on the right and on the whole been playing quite well. But Madweki has now made sort of three appearances in a, in a relatively short amount of time. Of course, he, he suffered the blow of of um, suffering a, a minor hamstring injury in pre-season, which meant he didn't play any minutes under Pochettino in that pre-season. So he's been having to play catch-up. But yeah, I, I, think, I think Pochettino quite likes him. He's obviously still... A little raw, still working on his game, and and that's what this piece is all about. It's an interview with. Um, it's not so much a fitness coach match as was pointed out to me when I said to Saul Isaacson-Hurst, I went, "Oh, you know, is it all about fitness training then?" And he he sort of went, "No, I'm a technical coach," and was very keen to hammer home the fact that he works on on skills and 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 particular sort of drills, lots of one on one training lots of sort of end products kind of training which of course is something that is has been labeled at Medwecki's door already that he looks good but where's the end product but it's it's definitely something he's been working on he's been working with Saul for for two years now it started back in uh, his PSV Eindhoven days and there's actually a, a sort of a, a great clip that, that Saul sent me of how he'd been working on a drill in that in that summer of Madweki cutting inside and shooting and Madweki going, uh, faking to cut inside and going down the right-hand side and shooting. And then it, he shows the, the latter part of the clip is him scoring two goals in the uh, Holland's equivalent of the Community Shield, doing exactly those two things. So, yeah, Madweki, I, I spoke to him as well after the AFC Wimbledon game. And interestingly, when I asked him about Raheem Sterling and the concerns about Sterling playing in his position, he said, no, I consider him to be a left winger. <laughs> I sort of was a bit taken aback by that. It was like, well, yes, but Pochettino clearly does not consider him to be a left winger. Hence, he's playing in your position. But I think there's going to be good competition between the two. And I liked what I saw from Adweki in the, albeit against Luxembourg, Asterix, the under-21s game a few days ago. He does look sharp. 
that hamstring injury is, is in the back of his mind. He's not he's not worrying about it. He's taking players on. And I think a fit Madweki, as he showed in a promising opening few months as a Chelsea player at the back end of last season, I think that's a, that's an asset for Chelsea. I just I just hope that his personal training after hours with Saul uh, pays off with uh, lots of goals and assists now. He'll do well to get in ahead of Raheem Sterling for this game if Maurizio Pochettino believes in players doing well against certain opponents. I thought Sterling had a decent record against Bournemouth. I've just looked it up on transfer marks while we've been talking. Raheem Sterling against Bournemouth. He's played them 14 times, won all 14, scored 11 goals, four assists and also one red card. So I think it's fair to say that they're Sterling's favourite opponent. We'll see if that continues this weekend. Uh, Liam, Tom wants to know what minute is Dom Solanke's inevitable goal going to be scored in? I'm going 90 plus three, a consolation in a 3-1 Chelsea win. Any advance on that? Sorry, I'm still stunned by those Sterling stats and now I'm wondering whether to make him my fantasy captain this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling the familiar Haaland terror. (laughs) Should we do a sweepstakes on Solanke? Okay. I will guess the... 62nd minute, which still gives Chelsea enough time to labour in their attempts to win the game. Mm. But no, I, I wrote about Solanke last season when, when Chelsea played Bournemouth. Uh, I think he's a really nice story and a reminder not to write players off if they have struggles early in their career. I think he he obviously had a pathway issue and then a contract issue at Chelsea. There were probably better moves for him to make than go to Liverpool at that time, given the quality of the forwards that were in front of him and his his career kind of stalled as a result. But it's been great to see him get himself on, on track at Bournemouth. And I think he's emerged as a really a legitimate Premier League striker who can do a bit of everything. That was always the impressive thing about Solanke was that he wasn't just a goal scorer. He could press, he could drift wide and run with the ball. I think he's developed physically, which is important for him at Premier League level. I think he's just a, become a, a valuable, legitimate Premier League striker who gets a good number of goals. Um, it doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be you know, the world-class player some hoped he might be when he was 16, 17 and winning England's Young Player of the Year. But he's having a very successful career. And I think he he's just as much of a... Cobham's success story as some of the guys that we've seen play and shine for Chelsea over the last few years. He's just taken a different path. Is he getting a goal on Sunday, Simon? No. Excellent. That's the kind of positivity. Just jinxed it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a two o'clock kickoff UK time down there on the South Coast. Um, This is not related to the Bournemouth game, but a lot of people asking us for an update on the shirt sponsor. What's going on with Infinite Athlete? seems to be taking an infinite amount of time for the Premier League to either say yes or no to this deal. I'm guessing Chelsea are going to walk out without a front of shirt sponsor again at the Vitality Stadium. Are we expecting this to get resolved anytime soon? The last we heard, it was with the Premier League awaiting approval and the length of time that it's taking suggests that verifying it is not a simple process for the Premier League. I mean, this is this was a very new company when this deal was first first mooted. And the numbers involved in the deal were quite eyebrow raising given how new this 
company is given the fact that it's not particularly customer facing and thereby not not the usual type of company that would be interested in a front of shirt sponsorship i think that's fair to say and obviously they have to verify that there aren't any direct links to to clear lake capital so i think there are a lot of boxes to tick i don't know at this stage which way it's going to go but i think it has been on the premier league's desk for a while i think we should also point any listeners who haven't seen it yet the story that Adam Crafton and Joey Durso did in the first week of the international break, that Chelsea have started talks with Riyadh Air, who don't even fly yet. <laughs> they fly in 2025, apparently. But they have held some talks with them. They're owned by Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund. So that will uh, definitely raise some eyebrows. And also someone that uh, is close to home for you, Matt, KN Sports, who, of course, have got a deal with Forrest. So it's interesting. And whether this is an infinite athlete for, for one season and these guys are being lined up for the seasons to come or whether there's trouble in the road with infinite athlete, you know, what Liam's talking about, this this long delay, and they're looking at other options. It is quite remarkable. But the positive of all this, of course... It's been Chelsea fans being able to buy this sponsorless shirt. And you have to say, it's kind of been nice to see it. Uh, I, d- I don't know why it makes a difference, but it does. I almost sound like a club salesman now. Get them while she can. Because you would think sooner or later, Chelsea have to get this resolved because they, they need the money. You know, any club needs the money. But after spending what Chelsea spent in the market, they'll, they need some uh, some money coming in as well. Yeah, there was a big backlash from Forest fans about Kion Sports, who are one of those companies that pretend they're not a betting company, but but really are. They're also the sleeve sponsor for a few Premier League clubs as well. So given what happened with Chelsea supporters when it was rumoured that Stake would be the front of shirt sponsor, it'd be an interesting one to keep an eye on. All right, elsewhere in Chelsea news, Ronnie Stutter's up for the PL2 Player of the Month award. That's after he got braces in both Chelsea's opening two league games. The winner of that's announced this Friday. Uh, on Saturday, the Dev squad kick off their Premier League International Cup campaign. They host Lyon. Uh, that competition sees 12 English teams and 12 European sides face off. They go into three groups of eight. The English teams play the non-English teams and the European sides uh, don't play each other. The top two go through in that. It's taken on added importance for Chelsea because they're not in the UEFA Youth League this year. And meanwhile, the under-18s host Fulham in the under-18 Premier League at Cobham on Saturday. Uh, Liam, you were at that Legends game last weekend as Chelsea took on Bayern Munich at the club honouring the late Gianluca Vialli. It looked like a really fun night. And John Obi Mikel stood out to you. Yes, John Terry got man of the match. Uh, which maybe wasn't a surprise given that he was making his presence known all evening and managed to score, I don't believe, entirely accidentally in the 26th minute. Match fixing. (laughs) (laughs) Scandal. He was one of the people who looked exactly the same physically uh, as he did when he was playing, which is pretty impressive. Gary Cahill was another, but he only retired a couple of months ago. Uh, But Mikel impressed me most because apparently he'd been training for two months for this game. Uh, He looked exactly the same as he did in 2012. The big difference was the way these Legends games go, 
he's now the fastest, most dynamic player on the pitch. So in addition to doing all the standard John Obi Mikel stuff of, you know, picking the right passes, playing at his own pace, his own pace is now impossible for players of his own age to keep up with. So he was effortlessly dribbling past opponents. Bayern could not deal with him. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole occasion was a lot of fun. It looked like the players on the pitch had a lot of fun as well. Chelsea ended up winning 4-0, so the fans got what they wanted, including an incredible header from Michael Essien. It was, it was on social media, so I assume most Chelsea fans have seen it at this point. Not the kind of header you get from a Legends game. He headed that harder than like a kickable. Ramirez, four in the box. Can he find a teammate? Oh, it's a good ball! So yeah, a lot of fun and also some really nice tributes to Gianluca Vialli ahead of kickoff and throughout the evening um, his his wife and daughters were heavily featured around the match itself and um, before the match they had an opera singer sing Ness and Dorma while there were like video tributes to him on the big screens at Stamford Bridge. It was it was quite emotional. And yeah, you can see how much he meant to everyone in the stadium and how much enjoyment they got from seeing most of the legends. There was, was a pretty good turnout, to be fair. A strong 2012 turnout. And Zola came on in the final few minutes as well and showed one uh, flash of the old magic at the age of 57, scooping a ball over the top in the lead up to Gary Cahill's goal. I, I was imagining somewhere Gus Poyet just standing up in his living room and doing a scissor volley the moment that it happened, just out of pure instinct. But yeah, lots of fun. Uh, That Michael Essien goal, by the way, somebody put on Twitter, I'll I'll see if Lucy can repost it from our account. It was an exact replica of one that he scored for Chelsea against West Ham back in 2010. It is really freaky uh, if you see it. I'm told there was a good night out before and after that match for the players and and I'm assuming that John Terry didn't even charge any of his teammates to shake his hand after he scored the goal. All right, next today we'll do a quiz. Uh, here's Don who tweets to say, I'm not claiming to be a podcast expert or producer, but I cannot more strongly recommend killing the quiz segment of at SO Cobham Pod. It's a stain on an otherwise entertaining podcast. Um, now I've tried you to privately in the group chat i'm going to do it publicly here again liam simon you can create all the burner accounts you like the quiz is going nowhere and we start this week's now i'm not going to stop (laughs) they're just going to get more more foul mouthed (laughs) okay fine um you're going first liam today against whom did bournemouth striker dominic solanke make his one and only chelsea appearance in october 2014 I think it was a Champions League game. Um, no idea where this is in my mind, but Zilina. Wow, never even heard of them. Oh, Zil- oh MSK Zelina, yeah, those, yeah. Uh, Simon? Good shout. It's not right. Can you steal it? Uh, that, yeah, that was... Maybe that was Josh McEachern that I'm thinking of. Mm, might have been. Yeah. Um, it's definitely someone random. Mm. I'm going to need more specific than that, though, I'm afraid. 
Random FC, uh, <laughs> Dead Rubber Champions League game FC. Um, I'm sure this isn't right. Uh, Maribor. Maribor is absolutely correct. Well done. <laughs> and Liam puts his <laughs> Liam puts his head in his hands because he knew that. <laughs> no, oh, I, wow. I knew it was like an Eastern European minnow. I just went for the wrong one. <laughs> um, Maribor. Simon, if you like convoluted questions, this is this is really going to be up your street. Like Chelsea, Bournemouth are American-owned. Like Chelsea, those owners also have a French club in their portfolio. It's a stake, not full ownership. What French club do Bill Foley and his mob have a stake in? I'm trying to think of someone. This is what happens when we do like three years worth of quizzes and Chelsea play Bournemouth six times in that time and we're really scratching around for questions. St Etienne. St Etienne is not correct. Liam, do you know? This is what happens when Nathan Ake moves on all the easy questions. Yes, yes, very much so. <laughs> I'm going to say Evian. No, it's not right, I'm afraid. It's Lorient. Okay, Liam, you probably need this to get yourself back into things. Who scored their only Chelsea goal to date in last season's win at the Vitality Stadium? Chelsea won last season. Mm. Simon was there, doing a jig in the away. Yeah, you always pick games Simon was at. I'm not 100% sure that Simon's actually got this one right either. So it'd be interesting if we pass it. Although a smirk has just gone across his face. So maybe that means he's remembered. Smirk always comes across my face. <laughs> I'm thinking of something hilarious to say. Come on, Liam. I'm going to have to push it's you. It's a bit late for Darren Barnard. Um, mm, yeah, I did. There's absolutely no Barnard in this. I looked and I don't think he ever played for Chelsea against Bournemouth. All right. Uh, uh... I'm going to say Raheem Sterling. That was not a good guess. Todd Bowley went to France in a Lamborghini, bought himself a centre-back. Benoit Badashili. Is that the first singing answer? It is, yeah. I'm not I sure saw... I got the chant right. Yeah, you got the, the, um, the chant right, but I have to, again, raise my objection to it because it's Badashili, not Badashili. But I'm going to give you the point anyway <laughs> there, Simon. This is another reason I remembered that is because it was sung throughout the entire game, of course, and I was in the away end acting professional. Especially when he scored. Um, right, OK, so it's 2-0 to you, Simon. Lucy's pointing out that Michael B. Jordan's also part of the ownership group at Bournemouth. So um, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Liam, you've got to get this question right. Uh, which current... Inter- oh, oh no, this is your question, Simon. God, this is yeah, yeah, part, yeah. isn't it? How many times have Chelsea done the double over Bournemouth in the Premier oh, League? Question. So they've played each other in six Premier League seasons. How many times have Chelsea won both games? Baba. Is there a chant about that? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's that many. Bournemouth are a bogey team. Be <laughs> that. Um... Let's go with two. That is absolutely right. Oh, my God. Um, 
the Michael B. Jordan thing <laughs> was going to be part of the tiebreaker and I shouldn't have read it out, but it doesn't matter because we've long since lost the need for a tiebreaker. This is an absolute whooping at the moment. It's 3-0 and, and two of those points for Simon have come on Liam's question. So, I mean, to claw back any kind of respectability at all, you really need to get this, Liam. Which current international manager lined up for the Blues in their 1-0 League Cup win against Bournemouth in 1994? He's been taking charge of his team over the international break. He's a former Chelsea player. 1994 League Cup. It's one of those that's hard to get. And then when you hear the answer, you go, oh, bloody hell, of course. Steve Clark. Steve Clark, and he's on the board. Well done. Let's do the last question just for fun, even though I'm starting to think that maybe Don was right. Simon, which former Blues defender scored three times at the Vitality Stadium during his Chelsea days? Marcus Alonso. Oh, he didn't even need to think. Absolutely spot on. Um Liam, I can see why you're shaking your head and gritting your teeth. That that was not good. But Simon, exceptional stuff. You must be thrilled. What a way to go into the weekend. Bob Bowley went to front. No, uh, yeah, uh, very exciting. Uh, let, let's hope um, Chelsea sort of score four. Actually, just score, just win. I don't care how. The bin lorry's just turned up at my house. So that's maybe a metaphor for, for your performance in this quiz. All I can say is Simon massively outperformed his XG there. <laughs> That is very true. Yeah, that was Raheem Sterling against Bournemouth kind of numbers. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to the game on uh, Sunday, Simon. Liam, tell us what's on the agenda uh, in terms of Chelsea content going up on The Athletic in the near future, please. So I am working with Simon on a piece about the relationship between Chelsea's new owners and, well, I guess we can't call them new owners at this stage, and match-going fans because... The Bournemouth game this weekend is looking like it will be the final one where a small number of the away support will be able to get a £10 return journey on the coach because Chelsea are ending a long-running coach subsidy that was begun in the Abramovich era and the Chelsea Supporters Trust are funding it for this trip, but for no more. They're doing it in an attempt to shame the club into reversing their stance, but there's no sign that will happen. So Chelsea's away fans are currently looking at the trips in the coming weeks, Burnley, Newcastle, and wondering what the cost might be and whether they can afford it. And that's all part of a bigger picture that we're going to go into about the way Chelsea's ownership are changing the match day experience from a financial perspective and how fans are reacting to that and how it is likely to develop in the next few months to years. All right. Well, that's going to be worth checking out for sure. There's lots of good stuff up on the athletic. Now, as Simon mentioned, the agent survey about the the best and worst deals of the transfer window. There's a list of all the Premier League squads, which have been announced as well and plenty more besides athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up uh, I would also and hopefully I won't get in trouble for this point you in the direction of a podcast that our old friend Sam Parkin and I are part of called what the FL where 
we had John Massino, the Portsmouth manager, on this week. And there's a clip on our Twitter page, at EFL Water, where you can hear him talking about Tino Andrin and how they managed to persuade him to sign for Portsmouth. It was basically down to John Harley, so that's worth checking out if you're interested in academy stuff. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday when we'll be breaking down that Bournemouth game and talking all the rest of the Blues news as well. So do join us for that if you can for now, though. From Liam, from Simon, from Lucy and from me, it's goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>